0: Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for another opportunity to come before you to worship you, to fellowship with others of like faith. We pray that what we uh, do during this Sabbath and do throughout our life would be pleasing to you, that we would be found worthy of your calling and of your, the resurrection which will occur when your son returns to this earth. Father, we also pray for those not here and those sick, those needing healing, we pray that you be with them and, and uh, be, be their Yahweh Rapha, be their healer and provider in all things. And Father, we thank you now and we give you glory and praise for all praise is yours. And we ask this in Yahshua's beloved name, hallelujah. Well, I'd like to um, welcome everybody here and extend a uh, greetings to those online. You know, there are a few events more important. Then for Yahshua's second coming, if you really think about it, not only does it mark the return of the Messiah's um, coming, but also the resurrection of the saints. And with that, it also begins the millennial kingdom here on earth. So in many ways, it marks the end of one era and the beginning of another. In this message, I want to take a deep dive into the second coming of Yahshua and uh, talk about his return, how it will happen. We'll be uh, looking at examples from both the Old and New Testament, including examples from Daniel. Of course, Daniel's a very notable book with prophecy, Yahshua's coming, and a Zechariah, powerful book with his coming, and also examples from Yahshua the Messiah himself and the Apostle Paul. You know, We'll look at different angles and aspects of this important event and uh, do so somewhat chronologically, although we will see some overlap as we go through it. I'd like to begin today with Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. Before we, uh, before we uh, read this, let me give you some background as to what led up to this point, where this passage picks up when Yahshua returns to the city of Jerusalem to, uh, to uh, defend Israel of her enemies. Uh, prior to this, we know that all, all the armies of the earth will, will gather till Megiddo. Till Megiddo is also known as Armageddon. And uh, Many believe that this is where the final battle will occur, Tel Megiddo Armageddon. That's not really true scripturally. They will will stage there Tel Megiddo, and then they will march onto uh, Jerusalem, as we find here in this passage. So let's begin here, Zechariah 12, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. This is a burden of the word of Yahweh for Israel, saith Yahweh, which stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth. And forms the spirit of man within him. You see, every, everything we have is, is from Yahweh, derives from him. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people around about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people, and all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against... Notice, it says, all the, all the people of the earth, all the armies of the earth will come against this holy city. It says, in that day, saith Yahweh, will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. We'll see examples of that just later in this message. And I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the go- governors of Judah shall say in their heart... The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength, and Yahweh of hosts, their Elohim. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. You see, they're going to devour their enemies. That is, that's what it's conveying here. On the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Yahweh also shall save the tents of Judah first the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall Yahweh defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as Elohim, and the angel of Yahweh before them. You know, we talked about that angel of Yahweh just a few weeks ago, how important that angel is. Of course, we believe that angel is Yahshua the Messiah. So the angel of Yahweh it refers to, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. So we see here that all the armies of the earth, it says, after again they stage until Megiddo or Megiddo, will come against the holy city. They will fight. But it says here that those who do so, it will be a burden to them. What does this mean, a burden? In other words, nothing good is going to come from those nations who comes against, to fight against his holy city. They will try to destroy what belongs to Yahweh, but he will not permit it. He will not allow it. You know, as we see here, Yahshua himself will come and fight on behalf for his people. Not only will he fight, but we also find here that he will empower his people, Judah. And yes, it's an amazing thing when we realize what he's going to do here. It says that even the most feeble will be like King David. Think about that for just a moment. David was one of the greatest warriors within Israel's history. And it says here that even the weakest, even the most feeble, he's going to strengthen them so that they are like David. Again, it's just amazing to think about what Yahshua is going to do when he returns. Not only will he supernaturally intervene, but he will empower his people to fight against their enemies, and they're going to succeed. You know, I believe that this is one of the greatest prophecies we find within the word because, as we know prophetically, this also marks the return, the second coming of the Savior. This is how it begins. All the armies of the earth will again come against. They will encircle Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yahweh's holy city. And then Yahshua himself will descend from heaven after some time. And as we see here, he will defend his people. Now, in Zechariah 14, starting in verse 4, 1, we find more information here. Zechariah 14, 1 through 5, and also 12 through 15. It says, Behold, the day of Yahweh cometh. Now, the day of Yahweh, this is... a most often referred to as the day of the Lord, as, as you would most often hear. Many believe that this is a reference to Sunday as a day of worship, Or the day of Yahweh is not referring to Sunday. The day of Yahweh does not refer to a Sabbath rest, as so many believe. The day of Yahweh very specifically refers to the day when Yahshua himself will return, will come back to strike this earth with vengeance. I'm not going to really focus on that, but when you study the day of Yahweh, and the attributes we find for it, you're going to see that it's a day of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of destruction. So it's not a day that we should look forward to. Matter of fact, it says that don't, 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 uh, don't desire the day of Yahweh. Going on here, it says, And they shall uh, be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So notice again there, it says all the nations. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then shall Yahweh go forth. Now, we know this is the Messiah on on his behalf. It says, And fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem in the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the mist thereof toward the east and toward the south. Now, we'll talk about that for just a moment, but that's an amazing prophecy. It's talking about this mountain Cleaving, dividing in two, it says, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountains shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and Yahweh and Elohim shall come, and the saints with thee. Now we see here, starting in verse 12, it says, And this shall be the plague wherewith Yahweh. So this is Yahshua's return now, moving on. It speaks about a plague that Yahweh is going to strike the nations with. It says, And this shall be the plague wherewith Yahweh will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great torment from Yahweh shall be among them. And they shall lay hold, every one, on the hands of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. So you see, Yahweh's going to put enmity, enmity. he's going to put hatred and conflict between those fighting. He's going to turn one against the other. It says, And Jude also shall fight at Jerusalem. Now we, we read about that in Zechariah 12, how he's going to power the people. And even again, the most feeble, as it says, would be like King David. So as round about shall he be gathered together, gold and silver, apparel and great abundance, and so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, of the donkey, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. So as we saw in the previous passage, we again see here that all the nations of the earth will come against Jerusalem. All the nations, it says. At this time, it says that the houses will be plundered, the women abused, and half the city will go into captivity or bondage. But after this occurs, we find here that something amazing is going to happen. Yash is going to return. Again, as we saw in Zechariah 12, this is a continuation, I believe, of what we find in Zechariah 12, that Yahshua the Messiah, he's going to return, and he is going to fight against all these nations. For a moment, try to imagine, try to envision Yahshua coming down of heaven, out of heaven to fight against all the armies, all those who will defy Israel. You know, this is going to be an unbelievable sight. Now, in verse 4, it says that on this day, and again, this is the day of Yahweh, the day when he returns, it says that on this day his feet will literally stand On the Mount of Olives. You know, for me, one of the most remarkable things going to Israel was to stand at the top, at the peak of the Mount of Olives. Not only because it gives you a great view of Jerusalem, but also you know that this is where the Messiah is going to return. His feet, it says, will literally stand on the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem. It's an amazing thing to do this, to to stand there and look down upon the city. Now, we also see here that when this happens, this mountain will split toward the north and the south, creating a great valley for the people to escape. So, we see a prophecy, and you know what's remarkable about this prophecy is that there's an actual fault line going down the Mount of Olives. They've found this fault line, so we know it exists. So, it's there. We see evidence of this Messianic prophecy and how it will be fulfilled in the future. You know, anyone who claims that Bible prophecy is a bunch of, a bunch of fairy tales is simply uninformed or, or simply ignorant, willfully ignorant, because the Bible has so many ways to prove the content, to prove the words we find within it, the prophecies we find that has occurred, many of them has occurred. You know, people don't think of prophecy in that way, but, you know, there's a lot of prophecies that has occurred. And we also know there's a lot of prophecy that will occur, now, we also read verses 12 through 15. You know, when I read this passage, you know, I can't help to think for those who've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the Nazis opened up the ark and the Nazis melted away. Or I believe maybe they got their inspiration for that from this passage. Because that's precisely what we're going to find when Yahshua returns. Those that defy will literally melt away. Yahshua is going to obliterate, in a very graphic and horrific sense, those who defy his coming. Those nations who come against Jerusalem will suffer a similar fate. You know, it's going to be a gruesome sight. The armies of the earth will try to defy Yahshua's coming, but as we see here, they will not succeed. They will not succeed. After this, those who are left, we know, will tremble. They will humble and they will prostrate themselves before the Messiah. This is Armageddon. This is the final battle this world will see before the coming kingdom. And it begins, again, with the armies of this earth circling Yahweh's holy city. And then seeing Yahshua coming down again out of heaven to defend his people, to defend what belongs to him. You know, Yahshua in the Olivet of Prophecy said that this time would be the worst time this earth has ever and will ever see. No time in the history will rival what we see in the Great Tribulation. No time in the future will ever rival the time that we'll see before Yahshua's coming. Nothing will rival the destruction, the the, uh, devastation that we'll witness. You know, many who study prophecy believe that only 10 to 33 percent of the population of this world will survive. Now, the current estimate of the population of this world is around 7.5 billion people. That means if only 25% of the world survives, this means that 5.6 billion people will not. 5.6, assuming I did my math right. Last time I gave a figure like this, my math wasn't quite right, but it's a lot of people. And we don't really know how many anyway, but we do know it's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be an astronomically high number of people who will not survive this time. Again, Yahshua said, nothing will compare to this time that we call the Great Tribulation. Well, let's move on. Yeshua also speaks about the resurrection, His coming, in Matthew 24, verse 29. This passage is also known as the Olivet Prophecy. Of course, it's known as the Olivet Prophecy because he was he gave the prophecy while on the Mount of Olives. And um, it's an amazing prophecy, by the way. It really is. It's an amazing prophecy. I, 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 I categorize this prophecy top three. You have Daniel, you have Revelation, and you have the Olivet Prophecy. It is one of the greatest prophecies. It is by far the greatest prophecy, I believe, that Yahshua gave. It is an amazing prophecy. But Matthew 24, 29 through 31, he speaks about his return. He says, Immediately after the tribulation, so this is again, immediately after the great tribulation, these things will happen. It says, Of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. The Son of Man is the Messiah. So, Immediately after the tribulation, we find that Yahshua's appearance will occur, that Joshua's going to come back at this point. And it says, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They're going to be afraid. You know, many, most today, they, they willfully reject or they, they don't believe that he's returning or they're going to see evidence of his return and they're going to be afraid. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. So we see here that when Yahshua returns, it, he will send forth, it says. He will send forth his angels to gather the elect, to gather the chosen, the called and chosen of Almighty Yahweh. These are those who are found worthy of the first resurrection. Now, when will this happen in relation to what we found in Zechariah? Well, I believe it really happens somewhat in parallel. He will come down from heaven to both save the city of Jerusalem and also to resurrect the saints, to resurrect the elect, to resurrect, again, those called and chosen. I believe this is why he sends out his angels to gather the elect. While he fights Israel's enemies, they're the city of Jerusalem. Imagine this, Yahshua coming down, the angels Thousands upon thousands of angels coming down with him. Joshua, he's defending his city, and he's defending the people of Israel. And at the same time, the angels in heaven are going out and gathering the saints, and will bring them back with them, and we'll, we'll see that more as we uh, go through this message. Now, notice some of the other prophecies we find here. It says, the sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. There's going to be signs in the heavens that will occur at his coming and right before his coming. Peter speaks about some of these in Acts 2. You know, Peter in his Pentecost message speaks about how the sun shall grow dark and so on and so forth. We also find many of these signs in the book of Revelation. So when Joshua returns, he's going to shake the heavens And believe me, all will know it. All will know when Yahshua is returned to this earth. They will see him, and they will also see his angels descend with great power. And because of this, it says here that they're going to mourn, and they're going to be afraid. And as we see in Revelation, some will even hide themselves in the caves, in the rocks, trying to escape the wrath of the Lamb. But as we know, there there will be no escape. There is no escape when Joshua returns and his angels return with him. They're going to separate the chaff from the wheat. They're going to, the, the tears from the wheat. We also see here that a trumpet will be heard at his coming. You know, a trumpet is a common theme, we find, with Joshua's second coming. We'll see it more as we go on, but we see it in Paul's writings. We also see it all throughout the book of Revelation. Trumpets are very important in, in Scripture. Israel used trumpets for the calling of the assemblies, for the callings of war, and so on and so forth. So a trumpet is very important. I want to move on to Jude. I don't refer to this too often. But Jude, chapter 1, 14 through 15, it says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied and of these, saying, Behold, Yahweh cometh with ten thousands of his, of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are, are wicked among them of all their wicked deeds, which they have unrighteously committed. And of all their hard speeches, which wicked sinners have spoken against him. Now, before we uh, delve into this here, I, I want to I look at a few things. It mentions here Enoch. For this reason, many believe that this passage was derived from the book of Enoch that we find within the Apocrypha. Now, there's two schools of thought here. Number one, this could have derived from the book of Enoch within the Apocrypha. That is a possibility. Or the other possibility is that this came from an earlier tradition that both Enoch and the Book of Jude pulled from. We don't know. I mean, there's speculation both ways. Now, the reason I mention this is that I personally don't accept the Book of Enoch as part of the Apocrypha, and I don't believe it's inspired. And I think, uh, number one, we know that according to scholarship, uh, Enoch never wrote this. This book was written thousands of years after the after the uh, after the life of Enoch. And uh, we also know that if Seems to contradict the Bible. So again, I'm I'm not a big fan of Enoch, but it does mention Enoch here. We're moving on. What do we find? It says here that Yahweh will come, and when he does so, that he will come with tens of thousands of his saints. Now we know that again, Yahweh here is a reference to Yahshua. But what about the saints? Who are the saints here? Who's the saints? Or many believe, especially those who want to maintain a rapture, that the saints are the uh, the elect or the called and chosen. In other words, they've gone to heaven, and now they're coming back down with him at his return. Where is this the case? Or well, of course, this is not the case. We know that the Greek word here for saints is hagios, and while I can refer to mankind, it can also refer to angels. So it can refer to both mankind and to angels. You know, we've already read. And we've already seen from from the Olivet Prophecy, Matthew 24, when Yahshua comes immediately after the uh, tribulation, who comes with him? him? It's not the saints. It's not the elect. It says the angels come with him. So from Matthew 24, we know who comes with Yahshua when he returns, and that is the angels of heaven. They will go forth to the four corners, it says. You know, consider, though, that number for just a moment. Tens of thousands of angels. Consider that number for just a moment. Consider what it will look like to see Yahshua coming from heaven. And it's not only the Messiah. Consider then saying thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels descending upon this earth. You know, it's, it's very, very hard to fathom, to envision such a moment. But this moment will happen. When Yahshua returns, it's not going to be him alone. Thousands upon thousands, countless thousands of angels will descend with him. And they will fight Israel's enemies. And they will also gather the elect from the four corners of this earth, as we've seen from Scripture. Again, as much as we may try, I don't believe we can even fathom what this moment will be like. The greatness, the spectacular image that we will see with Yahshua descending. I mean, it's going to be a, just a wonderful time, assuming it occurs in our lifetime. When this happens, Yahshua the Messiah and his angels will defeat Israel's enemies and again they will resurrect the elect and the chosen of Almighty Yahweh. Now Paul, in one of the most common passages, one of the most uh, beloved passages, First Thessalonians 4 verse 16 he'll provide some uh, additional insight with his coming. So here's what Paul says. He says, For the Master himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of Elohim. And the dead and Messiah shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Master in the air, to meet the Messiah. And so shall we ever be with... The Master. So what do we find here from Paul? In many ways, it's the same message that we found in the Olivet of Prophecy in Matthew 24 and also in Jude. We do, though, find a few unique things here. We see here that when Yahshua descends, that he will do so with the voice of the archangel. And that he will also do so with the trumpet of Elohim. Now, the archangel. Why the archangel? Archangels are, are an exalted angel. So you see, it requires an exalted angel. Some, something of notoriety to, to announce the return of the Messiah. Not just any other ordinary angel, but again, an archangel, an angel that is exalted in many ways. We also see, again, this trumpet. Again, the use of a trumpet is very common with Yahshua's return. We've already seen this reference in Matthew 24, and also we see it, And uh, other passages, some we'll review, some we won't today. We also see here that there's an order to the resurrections. By the way, many people believe that, again, this supports the rapture, a secret rapture where nobody knows or understands where people have gone. Or how can that be if we have the voice of an archangel and and the trumpet of Elohim? How is it possible that he's going to come back and he's going to make all this noise and people won't hear or see him come? Or it doesn't fit. We also see, again, that there's an order. Resurrection says here that the dead will rise first. So the dead will come forth from their graves first, and then we find, following that, that the living will be resurrected. Now, again, can you imagine seeing Yahshua coming down from heaven, then seeing the saints, the elect, the called and chosen, coming forth out of their graves and being changed from flesh to spirit. And then after that, you see those still standing, those still alive, those still present, changed and ascend up into the clouds. I don't believe that we can even comprehend what a wonderful moment this will be when we see all these things happen, when we see Yahshua come back, when we see the angels descend, when we see the dead Messiah rise, when we see the living change and rise to meet the Messiah in the clouds. You know, this is the greatest promise that awaits those who are found worthy of Yahweh's word. And this promise should motivate us all to serve the one we worship. And I, you know, I think that's one reason why he gave prophecy, so that we are motivated to serve him, so that we understand what awaits those who are faithful to him now the great promises that we find within the word. I want to turn out of Revelation 1, verse 7. This is another description of his coming. A lot of parallels, but, you know, we do see some differences. A deep dive into Yahshua's second coming. Revelation 1, 5 through 7, it says, And from Yahshua Messiah, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead. You see, Yahshua, he was the first begotten of the dead to be Resurrected to eternal life. Others were resurrected, but nobody was resurrected to eternal life before the Messiah. It's an important point to remember. Yahshua was the first to be resurrected to eternal life. And it says, in the prince of the kings of the earth, you see, the father has, has given authority to the son over this earth. This is his domain. And he will reign and rule in the millennium, we know. It says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our, from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests, really as a kingdom of priests, unto Elohim and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he, the Messiah, cometh with clouds. You know, we've already seen that how many times. Yahshua coming forth in clouds. It says, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. You see, those who executed him, they're going to see him return. And I think this is referring to the Jewish people. They're going to see him because we, I'm not going to read that today, but it's a phenomenal passage. I really enjoy this passage. But Zechariah 12, verse 10, it talks about how the Jews, they're going to see Yahshua come down, and they're going to realize that the one that they perished, that the one they, they executed was Yahweh's son. And it says there that they're going to mourn as one mourns for his only son. So they're going to realize the horrific mistake they made, and they're going to mourn for what they did. Or we see here the same thing, that every, the, the, the same description is here. It says, and all kindreds of the earth shall well. They're, 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 they're going to be scared and afraid because of him. Even so, amen. You know, I'm not sure if we see anything new or different here, but again, it's another view of Yahshua's return. It again speaks about how he will descend from heaven. It speaks about how all eyes will see him at his coming. Again, this can't possibly be speaking about a rapture, because again, all eyes will see him. All people will see him. We also see here that he will make the saints that are resurrected, those who are found worthy. It says that they're going to be a kingdom of priests, or kings and priests, again, really a kingdom of priests, who will reign and rule with him in the millennium. And we'll talk more about the millennium here later, but the millennium, the 1,000 year reign here on earth. So when Joshua returns, that will begin the millennium, and he will reign on this earth for 1,000 years. It's going to be a time of restoration, of restoring what's been lost. So the one who died for us, the one who shed his blood for us, the one who we find redemption through, the one who justifies us from our sins is the same one who will return to gather us and he will grant us eternal life and he will also give us the position as of a priest within his kingdom and we're going to live forever. This change that we go through is going to be spectacular, it's going to be just mind-blowing. It really is. I mean, I, I don't think words could ever be spoken to, to convey the greatness of the resurrection. I really don't. I don't care how great you are conveying your words. I don't think words could be spoken to, to again, to describe this time. You know, Paul, though, he does speak about it, and Paul speaks a lot about this, In 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 55, it says this. It says, Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahweh, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So you see, we cannot inherit the kingdom. We cannot be found worthy if we're still flesh and blood. Scripture says that we must be changed into something different. And Paul explains this, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, we will not all die. Some will die and others will not, but we will all be changed. We're all going to go through this metamorphosis in the future. But we shall all be changed, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So it's going to be very quick. It's not going to be a slow process. It's going to be an instant, quick change. It says of the last trump, so again, there's that trump mentioned in connection to his coming. It says, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and, and we shall be changed. Same message that we found in 1 Thessalonians. The dead will rise and then those who are yet alive. It says, for this Corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? We find here that at the last trumpet, Something very special is going to happen. It says that we will all be changed in a twinkling of an eye. It's going to be very quick. It's going to be sudden. Yahshua's going to come. Again, he's going to resurrect the dead. They will be changed. We then who are yet alive will be changed, and we will then rise. This is the same message, again, that we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul is preaching there about the resurrection. It says here that we will all be changed. How? Scripture says that we're going to be changed from corruption to incorruption, from mortal to immortal. Let me give you a little bit of insight into these words. So corruption comes from the Greek thartos. Thartos means to decay or to be perishable. And that's human life. That's mortal life. We're all perishable. You know, the day we were born, we began to decay. Being in my 40s, I can feel that just a little bit more. We begin to decay. Pain begins to creep in. And you don't recover like you used to. Incorruption. Atharcia in the Greek means unending existence. Immortality. The ability to live forever. Mortal is thetos and means liable to die. And again, that's just something we all go through. Unless Yashua returns beforehand, everybody in this room will die eventually. Again, that's part of what it means to be mortal. To be human is to die, is to, to have a limit on our existence. And the last one here, immortality. Athensia, and it refers in the Strong's deathlessness, deathlessness. Or again, this thought of death not occurring, death not existing. There is no more death with immortality. So we find here that we will go from being a being that is a perishable to one with unending existence, to one that will never die. You know, this is a promise that awaits the called and chosen of Yahweh. Can you imagine, again, seeing will return and then in a blink of an eye, everybody around you changing into something different, changing from these mortal, fleshly, carnal, limited life and bodies that we have now to something far superior, something that is immortal, something that will never die. This is a promise that awaits those who are faithful to their Father in heaven now. You know, there's not a greater promise, again, within the Word. We can look far and wide. We will never find something greater than this. We will certainly not find anything greater on earth. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time searching for achievements here on earth. And they look for careers and money and prestige. But you know, I've lived long enough to know that all of these things go away. None of these things are forever. And you may have great money, you may have great wealth, you may have great position, you may have great authority, you may have great success, prestige, but believe me when I say, that there's going to be a point within your life that none of that will mean anything. And all we have at that point normally is our family and our our faith and the promise that we find here within the word. When this happens, you know, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. You know, so many of us, Many of us. And believe me, in the ministry, I, I see a lot of uh, sickness and, 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 and even death at times, and it's hard. And I know that so many people are suffering, some more than others. But I also know that in the millennium and, and after the resurrection, none of, none of this will exist. Won't that be a great thing? You don't wake up in pains and aches, or maybe some other more uh, serious illness or disease, that that disease will be gone, that that disease will not exist? that you're going to be able to stand up with no, with, no, uh, with no elements of any kind, or that day is coming. Now, starting in verse 42 of this passage, Paul gives some incredible insight. It's actually one of my, some of my favorite verses in Scripture. So 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. So Paul here, he goes through and explains that there's different kinds of bodies. You have terrestrial bodies, you have celestial bodies, you know, fishes have bodies, Plants have bodies. All of these things have bodies. Where he says, is that way also in the resurrection. That just as we have bodies today, that we're going to see some, some common attributes with the body that we're going to receive in the resurrection. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. That's our bodies now. It is a sown in corruption. It is raised, he says, in what? In corruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And by the way, that word glory there, it comes from the Greek doxa. And doxa, the, the glory there is the same word used in reference to Yahshua's own resurrection. That it speaks that he was raised in glory. It's the same Greek word. And I believe that just as Yahshua was resurrected, the same body and the same ability, ability that he had, we too will have. It says, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So Paul contrasts here the bodies, the one we have now and the one that we will receive in the kingdom when Yahshua returns to this earth. He says here that we were sown in corruption or ruin, based on the Greek. Corruption, ruin, again, the day we are born is the day we begin to die. But he says someday that we're going to rise or be raised and in incorruption. The word incorruption means immortality, that we're going to be raised to be immortal. He says here that we were sown in dishonor or disgrace, but we're going to be raised in, in glory or honor. also says that we were sown in weakness or feebleness. And again, the, the, you know, the human body in many ways is very weak. It's easy to... Uh, to destroy the life we have now, if not careful. So it is weak and feeble. But we see here that in the resurrection that we're going to rise, it says, in power. And uh, the uh, Greek, how some define this, is miraculous force. Again, I don't believe that we can even comprehend the the ability, the force, the power, the majesty, the glory that we're going to have at this time. Now, lastly, it says here that we were so in a natural body, that we're going to be raised a uh, spiritual or supernatural body. You know, for me, these are some of the most inspirational words we find in Scripture because not, not only does it give us a promise of the resurrection, but it speaks to the depth of what that resurrection will be like. It describes in great detail the, the difference between what we have now through these natural bodies and the bodies we will have and the greatness in the resurrection. You know the thought of receiving a body such as one described here is really beyond words. Living forever in a body that contains power and glory and honor is hard to even fathom because again, you know, we all suffer, we all struggle. But someday we won't suffer, someday we won't struggle. Someday time won't mean anything to us because we're going to live forever if found worthy. Joshua and Luke Chapter, 30, uh, chapter 20, verse 34, compares these bodies to, to angelic beings. He says there, and Yahshua answered, Send unto them the children of this wor- uh, world, marry, and they're given a marriage. So that's the way it works now. But then he says, But they which shall be accounted worthy. So notice that word worthy, by the way. So many people, they believe all we need to do is have faith, there's nothing for us to do. Well, you know, Scripture talks a lot about us being worthy, doing something, living a certain way, meeting a certain standard, worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither married nor are given a marriage, neither can they die anymore. For they're equal unto the angels and are the children of Elohim, being the children of the resurrection. You know, this is such an awesome passage. Yahshua speaks here about the resurrection. He begins here though by talking about the resurrection the, and the fact that it says that those in the resurrection will neither marry nor be given a marriage, he says. You know, it's important to realize that marriage is a human institution for the process of procreation and companionship. That's why I believe Yahweh gave marriage for procreation and companionship. For this reason, some have asked, you know, whether we will know our spouses in the kingdom. You know, we're not going to be married to our spouses in the kingdom. You know, I believe that we will know our spouses and we'll have those memories with us. But the relationship will not be as it is now. It's going to be different. Yashua goes on here to say that we'll be, be as the angels in heaven. How? In the sense that we will never die. That we're going to be immortal at this point. You know, we saw this in 1 Corinthians 15, that when Yahshua returns at the sound of that trumpet, that we're going to rise and be immortal, live forever. We also know that those resurrected will be angelic beings. I believe it's going to be similar, maybe even exactly how or what the angels are, the same angelic type of being that they are. Yashua calls these people those who are found worthy of this promise, he calls them children or sons of Elohim and also sons of the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? You know, just think about that. I mean, how great would that be to be counted worthy of Yahweh's child and a child of the resurrection where this is the promise that awaits those who again who are found worthy, who devote their lives to him now. Those found worthy of the first resurrection will not only receive these supernatural bodies, but we also find something else here. It says that they're going to be, again, sons of Elohim. They're going to be adopted within his family. And that's far greater than angels because angels are not part of his family. Angels are ministering spirits. Angels... Are are those who will help the father. They're assistants. They are not family. Does that make sense? They are not family. We will be family. We will be sons of Elohim. We will be counted as his sons and his daughters. Now, as we see in Revelation twenty, verse six, when this occurs, we will also reign and rule with the Messiah. Revelation 20, verse 6, is as blessed and holy as he that has part in the first resurrection. So you see there's something very special. It's a gift. This first resurrection is a gift. It says, on such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of Elohim and of Messiah and shall reign with him a thousand years. A thousand years. According to Revelation, those in the first resurrection will rule as kingdom of priests, with the Messiah for a thousand years. This thousand years, by the way, is known as a millennium. The word millennium literally means thousand years. So this is why we use millennium, thousand-year period, when he will rule this earth. Right this time, they'll be changed. Those found worthy will be changed from mortal to immortal, from corruptible to incorruptible, and they will be with the Messiah forever. I, can, you know, I know we've heard this already throughout this message, but can we really say that enough? Can we say that enough, say that we will be, be with the Messiah, we will live forever, the blessings that we find here? Notice also here that it says that the second death will have no power over those in the first resurrection. The second death, this is the great white throne judgment. You know, like Israel was exempt from the first few plagues, the latter plagues, of Egypt, we find here the same will be true for the saints, for the elect, that they're going to be exempt from the great white throne judgment. They're not, they're not going to have to go through this judgment, Scripture says, and the reason is it's pretty simple. They've already been judged. You see, we're being judged right now. We're being judged right now. Those in the first resurrection, we are being evaluated right now. This is a job interview, if you will. This is, uh, 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 this is Yahweh's evaluation of us. And whether we're fitting the mold, whether we're found worthy, we're being judged right now and we're being judged throughout our days as to whether we will be found worthy or not. And if we're found worthy, again, we're going to receive this promise. If not, we won't. This promise is why we do what we do. You know, it should motivate us daily to be better than who we are today. You know, one of the things I often say is, One of the common themes in Scripture is change. And I believe as believers we should always be changing. I guarantee you that nobody in this room is perfect, including myself. Nobody is perfect. We all have room for improvement. We can all do better than what we do today. So I would encourage you and I would hope that this message would would motivate you, this, this promise of the resurrection. This time again, we're going to be immortal. We'll be with our Savior forever. Now, where will we dwell? During this time, during the millennium, some believe and most believe, if you ask, they're going to say, we're going to be in heaven. But is that what we find in Scripture? No, it's not. Revelation 5, verse 10, the Bible says something different. Revelation 5, or 10, 10 it says, and hath made us unto our Elohim kings and priests. Well, again, a kingdom of priests. And we shall do what? It says, and we shall reign on the earth doesn't say here that we're going to reign in heaven. It says here that we're going to reign on earth as a kingdom of priests. You see, it's an amazing thing when we understand prophecy, the millennium, how it's going to work. There's going to be people still here, mortal people still here on earth. You know, we know from many prophetic passages that the millennium is a time to restore righteousness. It's a time that the saints will be in a position to teach those who survived. There's going to be a percentage of this world who will survive, who will go through, and who will find themselves in the great or in the millennium, and they're not going to know Yahweh. They're not going to know his word. Maybe they were ignorant of what they were doing, and they were found themselves in the millennium. Where it's going to be part of, part of the responsibility of the saints, we believe, will be, to, will be to help them fully understand Yahweh. Again, the millennium is a time of restoration, a time of restoring what's been lost, to a fallen world. And, you know, I think we would all agree that this world is a fallen world. The sins, the depravity, the immorality that we see. You know, when you see the um, outright disregard for human life, as as we're seeing with so many states and abortion, it's it's just crazy. It's insane. And it's hard to fathom how people can support a human right to kill your own baby. I'm sorry, there's no human right for murder. That doesn't exist. It is a fallen world, but as we see here, we're going to fix this fallen world. And that's going to be an opportunity we're going to have if we're found worthy of this calling, that we're going to be able to help and resolve the issues that we see today. We're going to close now with Daniel 7. Daniel 7, starting with verse 25. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. This is a reference, by the way, to the man of sin. And to think to change time's laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and a dividing of time. So let me do the math for you. Time, one year. Times, two years. And the dividing of time, one half year. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. A time and times and a the dividing of time. We see that also in the book of Revelation, same measure, same time frame. It says, but the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. Now, this is the transition, transition between Yahshua, between the tribulation and the kingdom. It says, in the kingdom and dominion and the Greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Who do you suppose that represents? Of course, those who be resurrected. It says, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. You know, the first part here, speaking about the man of sin, the anti-messiah, the son of perdition, lots of different names. It says here that he's going to speak great words against the Most High, and he's also going to think to change time's and laws. And I could go into that a little bit more, I won't, but, but I think we're going to see a, a big change during this time, during the Great Tribulation. You know, as we see in Scripture, this man will rule over this earth as a despot. He will establish himself as a mighty one. It says that he's going to sit in the temple as Elohim, as a mighty one. We also see here that he will persecute the saints, and he will openly defy Yahweh. But as we see here, though, his reign will only be for a short time, for three and a half years, to be exact, for the great tribulation. After this, the Messiah will return. He's going to destroy the man of sin and those who follow him. And upon doing this, he will then establish his own kingdom here on earth. Yahweh's kingdom will be forever and never never ends, everlasting. You know, as we see here, his kingdom will be given over to the saints of the Most High. The saints, again, these are the sons of the resurrection. These are the called and chosen. These are those who will be found worthy to be resurrected when Yahshua returns at the first resurrection, at his second coming. You know, I think we can all agree that there is nothing greater than the promise Of his kingdom. There really isn't. The thought of living forever with our Savior, without sorrow, without pain, should again be enough to motivate all of us. Really consider where we're at, consider our lives, consider what we're doing, what we're missing, where we're falling short. Look at ways to mitigate that, to to improve that to alleviate some of those sins, some of those concerns. You know, the thought of living forever with our Savior, again, is just unbelievable. I would encourage everyone here and those listening to think about, you know, what we've heard today. And let it be an opportunity, not not what I've said, but what Scripture says. And look at it as an opportunity to renew our commitment to the one we worship, because believe me, we can all renew our commitment. We can all do better because the only way we're going to receive the promise of this resurrection is by believing in our Savior and by following the one we worship today, that is Almighty Yahweh, doing it his way, following his word. And when we do this, again, Scripture does show that we can, and if we do it right, we'll be found worthy of his promise. So I pray that this is a blessing, and again, I pray that it's motivated you to not not only desire this promise, but use it as an opportunity to, again, explore and evaluate our own walk so that we will be found worthy. May Yahweh bless you.